Fairfax Bible, good morning. Uh, this is my second time here, so I feel like we're getting to know each other a little bit better and we can be a little more personal and honest. So is it all right if I just share with you just like an honest reality about my life this morning? Um, I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. And so, uh, yeah. So for, you know, the, you know, Dallas and Washington, like if we're honest and humble, we recognize like we're never going to be able to, at least for a long time, to enjoy the Super Bowl. And so I figured... What, what could I do to be able to enjoy this kind of like sacred cultural holiday? We'll just get into making good food because that's all, that's all we're going to get out of it. And so that's how I got into uh, barbecue and all of that. And so uh, we'll enjoy some of that tonight. But uh, before we get into the uh, physical food, we have uh, legitimately spiritual food from God's word to, to feed us this morning. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, to go ahead and turn over to Psalm 119, uh, the longest chapter in your Bible, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16. We could read the whole chapter, but I know many of you have things cooking and stuff like that in the crock pot at home, so we'll just do these, these few verses. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. I invite you to read along with me. The word of the Lord to us this morning is, how may a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Fairfax Bible, this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. And I just want to invite you in this moment to pray along with me. Lord, I was just struck as I was praying for this church this morning, another psalm about your word, Psalm 19, that describes your word, your law to us, and it says, the law of the Lord is perfect for reviving the soul. Holy Spirit, you know, we, we invited you just a couple songs ago to enter into this room, and so you're here with us, and while we can look at each other and what's happening on the surface of our lives, Holy Spirit, you search the deep things, the inner parts of who we are. You know our souls. You know the souls in this room that are weary. You know the souls in this room that are ashamed about something that maybe has happened this week. You know the souls in this room that are battling a season of depression. Maybe souls that are really restless and, and anxious this morning. God, you know the state and the condition of our souls, but you tell us through your word that your, your word, your living and active word is perfect for reviving our souls. So God, with weary souls this morning, through your word, revive, bring life, bring energy, kind of like the tree that's planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season because it's connected to that deep source of life. God, would you connect us to 
the deep source of life that is your living and active word this morning. God, we humbly say, as your people here at Fairfax Bible, um, speak, O oh Lord, to, the, to us this morning, uh, for we as your servants are listening, and we just ask all the things for the, for the glory of and in the name of our matchless Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So I, I'm going to share with you some reflections this morning that, that come out of a sermon that we went through at our church, New City Fellowship, back in Manassas, and we are, as a church, going through a series called Walking with God. And we are considering this kind of like tension between these two realities, this, this incredible reality that the God of the universe wants to walk with us. And simultaneously, how we are often unmoved or um, uninterested in that, uh, even sometimes as Christians. We are considering that the God of the universe wants to draw near to us wants to walk with us, wants to be a part of our lives. And so I hope this morning that you're spurred on by that. And I, I want you to hear a couple invitations that God gives you as his people to walk closely with him. First of all, James 4.8, God gives you this invitation this morning. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's God taking initiative. That's God giving invitation to you this morning. It's not like he's just hoping that you figure out, hey, if you draw near to God, then he will draw near to you. No, God takes the first initiative saying, those of you in this room, draw near to me, he says, and he will draw near to you. Another invitation to walk closely, to pursue friendship with God, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus says, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This, this food described here is not, you know, the normal kind of food we're used to. This is spiritual food, friendship with the God of the universe that's, that's described in this passage. And so uh, that's the invitation that we have this morning to walk with God, to draw near to God. And you know, it is impossible to cultivate a relationship with another person without the capacity to communicate. If we can't communicate, if we can't exchange ideas, even words, then it's pretty hard to have a relationship. And so uh, as we begin thinking about walking with God, having a relationship with him, the first thing that we have to consider is how do we communicate with him? How do we hear from him? And I want to start off this morning by reading just, it's a little bit long, but follow along. I think it's significant. It's an excerpt from uh, an experience that famous pastor, well-known pastor John Piper had a number of years ago. I want you to hear his experience of hearing God's voice back in the year 2007. Listen to how he describes it. He says, let me tell you about the most wonderful experience I had early Monday morning, March 19th, 2007. It was a little after six o'clock in the morning. John Piper says that God actually spoke to me. The words were in English, but they had about them this self-authenticating ring of truth. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt that God still speaks today. He was at this, he describes this retreat house for uh, pastors and he, he got out of bed and as I prayed, he says, and mused, suddenly it happened. God said to me, come and see what I have done. There was not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. In that very moment, 
In this very place in the 21st century, 2007, God was speaking with me. I paused to let it sink in. It it seemed uh, uh, um, uh, that God was near, that he had me in his sights, that he had something to say to me. Then he said, as clearly as any words have ever come into my mind, I am awesome in my deeds towards the children of man. My heart leaped up. Yes, Lord, you are awesome in your deeds. What else will you show me? The words came again, just as clear as before but increasingly specific. I turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They rejoiced in me who rules by my might uh, forever. Suddenly I realized that God was taking me back several thousand years to the time when he dried up the Red Sea in the Jordan River. As I marveled at his power to dry sea in the river, he spoke again. I keep watch over the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Think of it. Marvel at this. Stand in awe of this. The God who keeps watch over the nations. This God still speaks in the 21st century. I heard his very words. He spoke to me personally. It has, John Piper says, increased my love for the Bible as God's very word. Because it was through the Bible that I heard these divine words, and through the Bible that I have experiences like this almost every day. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and your mind when we hear his words. And best of all, they're available to all. If you would like to hear the very same words I heard on that couch in northern Minnesota, read Psalm 66, verses 5 and 7. That's where I heard them. Then he closes saying, Oh, how precious is the Bible. It is God's very word. How many of us this morning long for God to speak to us? Long to hear a direct, specific word from God. All the while, our Bibles collect dust, or maybe our Bible apps uh, undownload themselves to save data because we neglect it. How many of us in this room would, would long and would do almost anything to hear God himself speak to us And yet at the same time, we are so prone to neglecting his word to us on the pages of the Bible. I want to invite you, brothers and sisters, this morning to pursue more than uh, maybe you ever have walking with God. And in order to do that, you have to walk with him by cultivating a relationship with him through his word. So this morning, as we look at this psalm that captures a love and appreciation for God's word, I want to look at a couple areas just to kind of outline it together. Number one, I just want to discuss with you briefly this morning kind of this question. What what is the Bible? How should we think about the Bible? I know we at New City and you at Fairfax Bible would have the same kind of theological understanding of what the Bible is, and so I, I want to reflect on that with you. And then I want to ask this question. Understanding what the Bible is, how do we approach the Bible 
so that we can cultivate this walk with God through it. Or, or in other words, how do, we, how do we read the Bible in such a way that it can have its full effect on our lives? Those are, those are the topics that I want to consider you with, this, with you this morning. Beginning with this question, what is the Bible? Let's just state it plainly. The Bible is the word of the creator of the universe. And Psalm 119 is fully devoted to to reflecting on that reality. It uses different letters of the Hebrew alphabet to sort of poetically appreciate and worship God in light of his written word. Uh, and, And you see throughout this psalm the recognition that this is in fact God's word all throughout it. So constantly the psalmist says, your word, your commandments, your statutes... All throughout Psalm 119 and on other pages throughout the Bible, what the writers of the Bible recognize is this. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And nothing less is happening in that moment. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. This is how our church sort of crystallizes that reality in maybe theological language in our statement of belief. It says, we believe that God wrote the Bible through men without error. The Old and New Testaments in their entirety constitute the written word of God and are without error, both inerrant, infallible in the original manuscripts. They were written by men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are therefore fully authoritators in matters of life for the follower of Christ. God inspired without error. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And this, of course, is taken from verses like 1 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. Or, or one that captures it, I think even somewhat poetically, First Peter, or sorry, 2 Peter 1.21, knowing first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy of, uh, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I love that description. This description that the Bible is not like this download from heaven where God just, you know, maybe for example like the Ten Commandments, but most of the Bible is a human author writing, but as that human author writes, they are carried along by God's Spirit so that what is written is God's very word. And so uh, right out of the gate this morning, I just want us to know, some of us be reminded uh, uh, that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. What is the Bible? It is God's very word. Now, for some of us, this is like, you're here this morning, you're with me, you're amening, you're on top of it, uh, like you, you believe that. There, there may be, I don't know, there may be others of you in this gathering that what I'm saying is absurd. Like, we really believe that this old book, that, you know, maybe whatever beliefs you have about it, uh, like, like, it's hard for you to get your mind around this being a book that was inspired by God. And then there are others of you, probably the majority of us, that land somewhere in the middle. That like, at times, yes, this is God's word, but maybe at other times you have either personal doubts about it being inspired by God, or maybe even um, academic or theoretical or philosophical questions about being God's word. Like, how can we believe, why should we believe that this book, the Bible, 
is God's inspired word? Now, that's the most complicated question for us this morning that I'm going to spend, ironically, the least amount of time on. Can I just give you a few things personally that have persuaded me? Uh, I don't have time to give you a a crystal clear breakdown. Uh, I'd be happy to recommend some books, or honestly, I don't live that far away. I'd be happy to have a cup of coffee with you and discuss it further at some point. Um, But but personally, uh, how have I come to have this firm confidence that when the Bible speaks, God speaks? Number one, this is maybe experiential, but, but I hope you'll take up this invitation. I've, I've come to see this as God's word simply by reading it for myself. And if you have questions or doubts about the Bible, that is my first charge to you. Just read it. Open it up. Read it with a sense of humility. Don't come into it ready to pounce, ready to disprove it. Read it with a sense of humility. Take it for what it was written, but read it personally. I'm also persuaded that this is God's word because of the dozens of specific predictive prophecies that are outlined on the pages of Scripture hundreds, if not thousands of years before events transpired that when they actually came about happened exactly as they were spoken to. So whether it's over big realities like the arising of uh, nation states like uh, Greece or Rome or Persia that was perfectly outlined in the book of Daniel or specific details about the life death, and resurrection of Jesus that are recorded all throughout uh, the Old Testament, seeing these things fulfilled in perfect uh, form related to their prediction persuades me that this is God's word. When I consider that this book, this book of books, 66 books, was written on three different continents by dozens of authors across thousands of years, and yet still has the same unified theme centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ, persuades me that it's the Bible. And then Jesus himself, God's living word incarnate, the historical facts of his life, death, and resurrection persuade me that this is, in fact, God's inspired word. And so if you have questions or doubts, my first charge to you is just begin reading the Bible for yourself. And secondly, I would, eat, I would honestly love to have a more in-depth conversation with you about that. But I, I don't want to focus our time primarily on uh, believing that. I want to state that as truth, that the Bible is God's word. And when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Now I want to just get a little bit more personal and practical to your life. How can you, as a follower of Jesus, approach this book so that it changes you, so that it impacts your life, so that through it, you yourself are able to cultivate this walk with God that I'm describing. I want to just give you a few categories that I think are helpful, memorable uh, for you to take home that will affect your own personal Bible reading. So how shall we approach the Bible? Three things you need, at least. Number one, hunger. Number two, humility. And number three, you've got to read this book engaging your heart, okay? How do we approach the Bible? Hunger, humility, engaging your heart. Let's look at that point of hunger first. If Psalm 119 is a guidebook for how we should approach the Bible, you can't help but immediately notice the the desperation, the the hunger, the longing that's consumed uh, the writer for God's word. So he, he says, for example, in what we read, with my whole heart... I seek you. In the way of your testimony, I delight as in much riches. Uh, In Psalm 119, verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing. Have you ever been consumed with longing for something? This is not just casual learning that the writer of this psalm is doing. This is someone approaching the Bible with deep hunger, deep longing, desperation. Is it any wonder that Jesus himself describes God's word to us this way when he himself was famished, With physical hunger, 
in the Judean desert, he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If this book is going to have its proper effect on our lives, we have to approach it with hunger, which should then bring maybe this question up in our minds. If that's the case, why do I personally lack hunger for God's word? Why can I maybe go long seasons without even reading it for myself? If I'm to approach it with this kind of hunger and longing, why is that lacking? I've got maybe just a couple diagnosis areas for you to consider that could be reasons for why you lack hunger for this book. One could be, I'll just state it plainly, you are so filled with other junk that you have actually lost your appetite for true spiritual food. Right? You, you, you could be so filled, so full of other things that, that there just isn't much room left in your life for God's word. So uh, we've already mentioned, my, I just appreciate that my reputation precedes me, my affinity for food. I love, love different kinds of food. I love eating, and there are meals, maybe some of you are similar, that I will put special effort into preparing for. So maybe it's Thanksgiving. How many of you have done the Brazilian steakhouse experience before? Uh, these are meals you don't just stumble into, okay? If you're going to do them properly, you need to prepare yourself. So, you know, think about your meals throughout the rest of the day. Limit what you eat. Um, you know, uh, ma make sure that uh, perhaps you've exercised some that day to cultivate some hunger. Maybe some time of quiet meditation and reflection before you go in would be helpful as well just to, to prepare yourself mentally. Like, uh, but can you just imagine this scenario? Let's just say someone has paved the way for me to go to one of these Brazilian steakhouse experiences, which I would just love to do, right? It'd be incredible. But before I go, I participate in a uh, Oscar Mayer hot dog eating contest. Have any of you ever done one of these contests before in college or something like that? I don't know how many I could get through, but let's just say I, I, I go as hard as I can and I now enter into this Brazilian steakhouse. Do you know what would happen? Food that would normally seem absolutely delightful would all of a sudden actually be like repulsive to me. Like I am so filled with junk that true good food would end up just not even being appetizing to me. There could be some of us in this room where we are so filled up with reels and TikTok videos and I don't know what you're into, uh, talk radio, TV, uh, who knows what, but you have so filled yourself with honestly junk that when it comes to God's word, there's little appetite for it. That's, that's perhaps an area for you to evaluate in your life. Uh, just too much other things that are blocking out the appetite for it. Another reason why you might lack hunger for God's word could be um, that you've just not cultivated an appetite for it. So a friend of mine, uh, I, I met with him, it was, it was about a year ago, and, and he really, that year, he'd always struggled with his weight and eating healthy, but that year they, as a family, like invested a bunch of money in like a personal coach, and uh, he, he looked really different. He'd lost a bunch of weight, was eating healthy, and he said something interesting to me. He said, uh, we were actually in line at Kava getting some wholesome food there, and he said, you know, the, the biggest change for me is that all of a sudden I actually now uh, desire vegetables, like I cultivated a desire. I never did before. I never had any desire to, to uh, eat vegetables, but all of a sudden I've cultivated this, this hunger for it by uh, regularly making a, it a part of my diet. And I, meanwhile, was like getting extra tzatziki sauce to cover up the flavor of the vegetables on my, on my kava bowl. Um, but, but one of the reasons why you might not hunger for God's word like the author of this psalm does 
is frankly, you're just not in a place where you've cultivated an appetite for it. You've cultivated an appetite for like maybe YouTube binging or Netflix binging or whatever other form of media, but you've not set the rhythms of cultivating an appetite for God's word. That, that could be a reason why, why you lack it. And so my encouragement for you this morning is just to kind of assess those things. Number one, how much intake of other things are filling you up that are maybe blocking out a, a hunger for his word? And then number two, do you need to just set some rhythms? Here we are in February. I don't know what kind of Bible New Year's reading plans we had. Maybe some of them de- have derailed at this point. That's okay. We can get, we can get on, on track again. What sorts of rhythms do you need to cultivate in your life to, to cultivate this appetite, this hunger for God's word? So that after a while, when you start doing that, when you go a day, to, a few days without reading God's word, you begin to feel it. You begin to sense it. and You begin to hunger more for it. Now, let me just say this uh, other specific word on the subject of uh, hunger. And, and this one is really for all of us in this room. Uh, I feel for young parents with little ones, little babies especially. Uh, under the subject of food, something else we need to do with God's word is we need to store the food of God's word away for seasons of drought. Okay? Um, there will be seasons in your life of drought and famine. You know, the, the psalmist said, I have hid your word in my heart. He's describing coming to God's word regularly, depositing it in his life, maybe even memorizing God's word in his life for those seasons when just ready access to God's word isn't the most available thing. So there may be some of you in the, in the room this morning where like, as I'm reading John Piper's experience of like coffee and the quiet of morning and you know, the, God's word being open, that that's just something you have easy access to. There are other moments in our life where we've been up all night with a crying baby it's five in the morning. We just got puked on. Uh, we've got a big report due at work in the morning. Oh, and by the way, we just realized we're out of diapers. We've got to rush to the store and get some before the day starts so that that is taken care of. And in those moments, you don't have 45 minutes to open God's word with a nice hot cup of coffee. It is in those moments, whether it's with little kids or other chaotic seasons of life, that you need to have stored away God's word in your heart so that it can be alive in you, so that it can guide you and shape you even in those difficult moments. I, I don't want to um, minimize our relationship with God to just those moments when we have our Bible open with our cup of coffee. It's a walk with God. It's through all of life. It's through the difficult moments with kids or the hard moments with our bosses or uh, the, the struggles that we face throughout life that God's word is alive and active within us. But that can only happen if you've taken time to store it away uh, in, in times of plenty. So, so we need to be hiding the food of God's word in our heart. So approach the Bible with, uh, with hunger. Secondly, we need to approach the Bible with humility. I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, but just a couple ways we can manifest hu- humility. So first of all, Isaiah 66, verse 2. I want you to hear about the relationship between God's word and the posture of humility that we have as his people. Isaiah 66, verse 2. God says, I love this, but this is the one to whom I will look. Do you know you can capture God's attention? Like how many of us long for attention from people, from parents, from from people we deem significant? It says you can capture God's attention. It says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do you hear that relationship? 
humble, contrite, and God's word. In order for this book to have its effect on our lives, we have to approach it with humility. And that humility is going to manifest itself a couple ways. The first one is this. It's humility that's going to show up in good hermeneutics. Okay, have y'all ever heard that word before? Uh, I know some of the uh, uh, our friends from Fairfax Bible, or sorry, from uh, Redeeming Grace have been preaching over here, and they love that subject. They're a great resource, actually, to, to jump in on that. But hermeneutics is simply doing this. It's recognizing the Bible was not, first of all, written to me, like here I am in the 21st century. Uh, the, the Bible was not first written to me. It was written into a particular context. It was written during a specific uh, time in history. And in order for me to understand what the Bible can say for me, I have to first understand what it was originally intended to communicate. To, to put it simply, someone I heard once put it like this, the Bible can never say what the Bible never said, right? So, so the Bible cannot say to me today something that it did not say to its first recipients when it was written thousands of years ago. And we need to do the hard work of trying to understand what was this meant or how was this received by the original audience of this book before we apply it to our own lives. And I'll just throw you a couple book recommendations. Whole seminary courses, whole seminary degrees can be devoted to this subject of hermeneutics. Just a couple books that have helped me if this is something you're especially interested in. Uh, number one is a uh, book called... Um, Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul. That's one of the first ones that I read on this subject. And then secondly, one that's a little bit more in-depth but still very digestible. Uh, author named Gordon Fee, he's a New Testament scholar, and he wrote a book called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. Knowing Scripture, Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. Those are some helpful resources so that you can get into the original context and meaning what the Bible was written into so that we can apply it to our lives today. Here's just another expression of humility that's different from that. That maybe more pertains to our head. This more has to do with our heart. All of us, regardless of our season in life, young or old, position in your place of work, uh, wherever you are, whatever season of life that you are in, we need to come before the Bible with an attitude that says this. I have got no idea what I'm doing. When it comes to my life, my marriage, my parenting, how I serve God, how I work, how I relate with other human beings, name it, any area of my life, I have got not the slightest clue what I am doing. And I need to come to God's word to be taught and instructed through it. You see that kind of humility here uh, when, when the psalmist says, uh, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Young men are known for uh, having a lot of opinions and uh, a, a lot of ideas, little experience. This is calling young men to say, I don't know the way. I will mess things up on my own. I need to guard my way with your word. An unpopular phrase right here, also in the psalm, teach me, teach me your commandments. When it comes to this life, we need to be able to say, I am out of my league. I don't just need advice. I need commandments. I need examples. I need instruction to show me how to live. We, we need to come to the Bible um, not, not with like uh, standing over it, not, not uh, coming to the Bible um, expressing our opinions about it, but we need to come under the Bible saying, I have no idea what I'm doing, but this book can guide my life. We need to have that, that kind of humility. So how do, we, how do we approach God's word? Number one, with hunger. Number two, with humility. And then finally, and I might 
suggest, most importantly, engaging our heart, engaging our heart. So in order to understand the Bible, you have to engage your mind. You've got to examine it, think it over, study it. But in order to walk with God, in order to walk with God, this has to move from our mind to a deeper level of actually engaging our heart. This has to be more than an exchange of information, more than a learning of history, more than a studying of literature. This has got to sink deep into our souls. So listen to how the psalmist describes his relationship with the Bible. He says, with my whole heart, I seek you. I have stored your word in my heart. In your testimonies, I delight. I delight in your statutes. This has got to be something that reaches us at a deeper level, which you may be wondering, how do we do that? How do we move the Bible from head to heart? The, the key word here is meditation. Meditate. You can simply scan through God's word, like read, read what's in front of you, and you might get something out of it. Oh, but Fairfax Bible Church, if you will meditate, on God's word. You will watch it enrich your spiritual life, ignite your heart for the things of God, and maybe most importantly, give you deep joy in any season of life. Any season of life. The way this moves to that level of deep abiding joy in any season of life is by moving it from our head to our heart. Now meditation, what, how should we think about that? Eastern meditation is all about emptying out your mind. Biblical meditation is actually the opposite. It's engaging your mind, filling your mind, using your mind actively to understand the meaning of God's word and how it approaches for your life. Now, here's the best illustration I was able to come up with with what meditation looks like, okay? Follow with me, see if this registers with you. Um, for many of us back in our high school days, you could turn your boring, monotonous day into incredibly exciting and dynamic by one simple thing happening. Receiving a letter from someone you may have had a crush on, okay? Maybe some of you have had this experience or you, you can at least pretend what it would be like if you <laughs> were more like me and you didn't have that experience. Um, so, so you may be in high school skimming through your history book, glancing at the class syllabus, but what you just received is totally different. When you receive a letter from someone that you might be interested in, your reading comprehension just skyrocketed, okay? So let me just say something like this. Dear Bill, James, dear so-and-so, uh, you know, I was just sitting in biology class with Mr. Jones droning on and on, and so I wrote you a note. So you like immediately pause and you start examining that sentence. Okay, well, does she mean that she was just writing because she was just bored? But when she was bored, she thought about me, so she, she wrote it down. Okay, what, well, what is that word that, that you know, that, that uh, she was, uh, she wrote a note. How can I look at that more closely? And then, you know, you, you keep reading. Well, this day couldn't get any more boring. I can't wait for it to be done. Anyway, after school, a bunch of us are going over to the Burger King. I don't know if, I don't go to Burger King anymore. I did in high school, at least. Uh, uh, maybe you, you should come. Well, oh, she's inviting me. Okay, so that, that's exciting. She must be interested in me. But there was a big group of friends. Is she just inviting me because she views me as a friend? Do you, but do you see what's happening when you receive that note versus just some book you're uninterested in? 
You're looking at every single word. You're examining it closely. You're considering, how does this apply to my life? Uh, How does what was written here relate to what was said before or maybe a previous conversation that I've had? You're now not just casually letting the words hit your eyes and move in from one ear out the other. You are engaging deeply with what has been written. When you engage with God's word at that level, asking the question, what does this word mean? What does this word say about God? What does this say about God's world? What does this perhaps say about me? How is this related to what went before? Uh, how, how, uh, um, How does this connect with the person and work of Jesus Christ? If you will give that level of focus and meditation, perhaps maybe even by journaling about it, you'll watch God's word move from your head to your heart. And when that happens, let me just reiterate one more time what the result will be. When you engage deeply with this kind of intrigue and diligence and delight, you will find for yourself joy regardless of what season of life that you're in. So Psalm 1 is the the big psalm describing meditating on God's word. Someone says, you know, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And and this is the key part. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates. He doesn't just read. He doesn't just skim. On that law he meditates day and night. What will that man be like who meditates on God's word? He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season. Now, maybe there's a lot of rain and there's lots of resources for that tree to yield fruit on. Or maybe it's a drought. doesn't matter for that tree because that tree has deep roots connected down deep underneath the earth into its source of energy and life, giving it joy, giving it strength, giving it a, a walk with God, through any season of life. I want to uh, share with you something that someone gave to me uh, earlier in the year, last year. So one of the founding members of our church, she's lived in our area, Manassas, her whole life, and her her mother that year passed away at age 99. Um, Her name was Marie Wine. Uh, Judy was her daughter. She she was the one who was our founding member. And at her memorial service, they they, they printed out and they gave out this this book right here, which says, uh, the the caption on the top is, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And it was 50 years of verses for the year. So so 50 years where uh, Mrs. Wine found a verse from the Bible and then all throughout the year, she did exactly what we're talking about. She didn't just think about it. She, she meditated on it. She drew into it. And I, I was just skimming through here. I mean, this thing goes all, all the way back to the 1970s. So when she was probably beginning to have grandkids at that time, she, she started doing this. She, she wrote things like, for example, in the year 1973, she was meditating on the fact of 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything, give thanks to God, uh, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, and then I was skimming through the 80s, and she was experiencing at that time perhaps hyperinflation and a, a, a struggling economy. And it was during uh, those times that she was reading verses like, um, And those who know thy name will put thy trust in thee, for thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who see thee. She, she kept doing this every single year, meditating on God's word. One that really captured me uh, was the one that she wrote in the year 2009. 
So we went from the 1970s, 80s, 90s, all the way to the 2000s. 2009 was the year that her husband of 66 years had passed away. I can't imagine the loss, the pain of someone that you'd been with for 66 years passing away. But it was during that year that she wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. And then the most captivating one was what she wrote in the year 2020 and 2021. For the last nine years of Mrs. Wine's life, she was at a nursing home in the Manassas area. And I don't think any of us could even begin to fathom what it would have been like to be in a nursing home you know, during the years 2020, 2021. But it was during those years that she was meditating on verses like Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Under the description of her life during those last years, it said the following. A resident of Cape and Merchant House for nine and a half years, Marie became the champion of her peers. She knew their birthdays, their age, and how they were doing. She formed strong bonds with the staff and shared her faith liberally. Without these strong bonds, survival of 2020 would have been impossible. At the end of her days, many reported that Mrs. Wine never spoke unkindly to anyone. Her presence and positive outlook will be greatly missed. Now, where did that description of her life, especially during the years 2020 and 2021, come from? Never spoke unkindly, encouraging, praying for, uh, being just a light in a very dark place. Where did that come from? Her own strength? No, it came from being like a tree planted by streams of water that was meditating on God's word, that was finding life and joy and strength even when things are hard. 50 years of faithfully meditating on God's word, 50 years of joy in hard times. Why? Because she learned how to walk with God through his word. Can I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, do you have a walk with God through his word this morning? Do you have a walk with God through his word, this morning. I don't know how else we're going to make it as times are continue increasingly difficult without having this living, abiding source of strength that carries us through. You know, in, in, in summary, just in closing, Psalm, Psalm 119, one thing it repeatedly hits on is that God's word is like rich treasure. It's to be sought after more than any of the wealth of this world. It is rich treasure. And what I want us to understand in closing is that the richest and most precious treasure of the Bible is God's living word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Because as you get to know this book better and better, what you'll realize is this isn't like a scattered book of spiritual sayings. The whole book, Genesis to Revelation, is all about Jesus. In Luke 24, it says Jesus was walking with some of his disciples after his resurrection, and he says to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. What Jesus is saying plainly here is this. Beginning with Genesis, all the way through the Bible, it's all about Jesus. He is the great treasure of the Bible that we seek after. Specifically, peering into, seeking to understand his sufferings, 
and his glory. How he gave his life for us and how he now reigns on high following his resurrection and he'll one, one day return. That is the great treasure of the Bible. And I would just want to say this morning, there, there could be some here where let alone a relationship with the Bible, like you don't have a relationship with God at all. And I just want you to hear God's word to you this morning. If you don't have a relationship with God, God has a word for you. God is speaking to you in this moment. It is the word of the gospel. And the gospel is, sadly, in our sin, in our rebellion against God, all of us are currently, naturally opposed to God's word in every way. We have a relationship to God of condemnation, of judgment, of wrath. But God has made a way to change that relationship with him from one of opposition to one of friendship, to one in which you can call the God of the universe Father. And he did that by uh, taking the penalty that you deserve for your sin upon himself. He suffered, just like I just read. He suffered and died for you. And he rose again on the third day, throwing wide open the door for every last one of us to have a real living relationship with the God of the universe. And so as we talk this morning about relating to God through his word, that's so important. The most important word for you to relate to God through is the word of the gospel. Christ died for your sins and rose again from the grave. And he calls you to respond to that word by trusting it. By trusting it. Saying, I, I believe you, Lord. I believe that you did all of that for me. And so why don't I, why don't I pray? I think we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in, in just a moment. Why, why don't I pray for us? And I, I want to pray for you if you're perhaps in that spot. Lord Jesus, we, we humbly recognize this morning that our natural disposition towards your precious word, like the God of the universe chooses to speak to us and direct, direct his word to us, our natural disposition is to oppose your word is to arrogantly think we know better, is to arrogantly think that we can do life without you, and we make a wreck of things when we do that. And yet, Lord Jesus, you have offered the sacrifice for our rejection of your word, for our transgressing of your word. You have provided the sacrifice by suffering and dying for us. We, this morning, put our faith in that great reality. We put our trust in that reality. We believe that on the third day you rose, Lord Jesus, from the grave. That's why we're celebrating here this Sunday morning. You didn't remain in that grave. You rose again. And now the opportunity is right there. The way has been paved. The door is wide open for us to have a relationship with you. God, draw your people into this relationship this week. Provoke them by your Holy Spirit to get that Bible open and to begin meditating on it, just like Psalm 1 describes. Lord, would you even meet us now as we meditate on the realities of, of your sufferings and your, your resurrection through, through the Lord's Supper. Thank you for these truths, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.